ஜலிஸ்மிஸ்ட்ரேட்ஜலி who benefited mankind by delivering yoga for mind grammar for speech and by removing impurities of the body through medicine so in the last class we have started our discussion on the eight limbs of the yoga namely the yama niyama asana pranayama pratyahara dharana dhyana samadhi as was discussed on the 29th sutra and in the last class we started with our discussion on the yama the very first the foundation of yoga yama means restrain so as we were mentioning that yama and niyama is like just weeding out is just removing the weeds yama is like removing the weeds yama is like removing the weeds and niyama is like planting the seeds sowing the seeds the wanted seeds the desired seeds so all the ethical restraints that comes first that to certain extent spiritual journey starts with the restraints i have to restrain myself from the old ways of living and those yama and niyama constitutes ten practices five yama and the five niyama and we as we have already studied in the 30th sutra the five yamas has been indicated what are those five yamas the five restraints ahimsa satya asteya brahmacharya aparigraha and yama uh, these are the yama ahimsa satya asteya brahmacharya and aparigraha so ahimsa means non injury non violence satya is truthfulness asteya non stealing brahmacharya continence and aparigramins non receiving of gifts so these are the five practices and in the last class we already discussed the ahimsa and satya and while discussing we indicated that non violence or non injury should not be restricted just to the physical level by thinking that i just take vegetarian food or vegan food so i practice ahimsa that's what the general notion is of course that's one of the primary practice of ahimsa but that's the secondary details the primary thing is to not have any sense of vengeance to have any sense of revenge hatred towards others so if just physically i am relinquishing uh violence but i am not relinquishing hatred hostility anger and other such negative emotions so then we might not be physically violent or verbally abusing others means in kaya and walk in this i am practicing non violence but the third thing the mind this 
practice of non-violence should be kaya, vaka, and mana. All the three, the through physics, through my physics, I shouldn't hurt others. Through my words, I shouldn't hurt others. I shouldn't abuse others. And even my mind, through my mind, that others may not find any expression, but inside I may be grumbling. Inside I am full of enmity. So that way we are not practicing ahimsa. So if we are harboring, har- harboring enmity or feeling of hatred or jealousy towards our neighbor, our co-worker, or even towards the government, that's what happens. We find that throughout the world. Then in this, why we are saying government that we are all aware of the fact that what has what is happening in the present world, that sometimes we forget the heritage which we are having and the way we behave against the country, against the government, that also speaks of himsa. So ahimsa in true sense is to constantly watch the mind and without such negative emotions at its nip, thereby not allowing them to breed in the fertile soil of our mind. So that's what is real ahimsa is. Satya, truthfulness. It's not merely speaking the truth. It should be spoken in such a way that it doesn't hurt others. As has been told in Sanskrit, satyam bruyat, priyam bruyat. Know it for certain that if the truth is not pleasant, it is not the truth. Suppose while reprimanding a child for doing something silly, and I just tell the child that you are stupid. It's a harsh word. And by telling such harsh words, I'm not speaking the truth. Because that child must prob- most probably has done some silly act, but that doesn't define his or her character. Just for a moment, just for that while he has acted st- uh, bit silly in a very silly way but for that I cannot say him stupid that means that throughout through eternity as if he has no scope or she has no scope she is going to be a stupid person that's not the truth that he or she has an infinite potential to be a very nice person that act was silly so the same thing I could have told in a different way I have never expected it from you I have such a high opinion about you. So the same thing, when you tell it in a different way, that becomes pleasant and that becomes the real truth. You acknowledge the inherent potentiality to become divine. Each and every being has the potential divinity to, potentiality to become the divine, to become perfect. So that I'm not denying. But just if I say that you are a thief, No one is going to be thief through eternity. It's just something which defines his present character, but he can overcome it. He or she can overcome it. So that way, the way we speak, that actually speaks of whether we are speaking the real truth or not. So unpleasant truth is never the truth. So if we treat a person as he or she is, he or she remains as he or she is. And if we treat him in a way that he or she is supposed to be, that person transforms, overhauls his personality and becomes what he or she is supposed to be. So that's the real way of practicing truthfulness. And from a subjective point of view, that I should never speak the untruth. Because why? 
as a yogi the first condition is to calm down the mind once you speak untruth you are now concerned that i may be caught so what happens i have to invent the lie and this your lie can never the falsehood can never stand on its own legs it needs a crutch and what is that crutch another falsehood we will find in our life that once we resort to some falsehood we find that we may be caught again we just make up another story to support this and again most probably we have to go on making such stories to support each of those falsehood because it may any time crumble i may be caught and not only that i have to memorize them because again when i have say this thing in a different version i will be caught but if i speak the truth i will never have to memorize them truth is you just speak it and now whatever the consequence you face and now you are free you are totally free now you are no more having any concern so this is obvious that falsehood leads us to mental turbulence full of concerns so never resort to falsehood if we really want to be a yogi there shouldn't be any compromise asteya non stealing it doesn't mean just for refraining from stealing the staff like others valuables and possessions it's not that there are so many other ways we can steal we can steal other time being let as we were speaking in the last class also we can steal others energy by not executing the delegated responsibilities in a teamwork we can steal others happiness by being rude or untruthful that's we see in the society that by being untruthful or by being rude we steal others happiness and of course that which we are quite aware of this plagiarism stealing others uh, ideas this is also a type of theft and the biggest theft is not to return to the society the society which has nurtured you which has uh, that the, what you are is the after all the sacrifice of the society but i don't pay it back so we commit theft when we take something from the society and don't pay it back our education our career all this is a gift of the society which we must pay back by becoming responsible citizen so or else it's a major theft so now we will take the next practice the fourth practice of yama the up the five, five practices the first three we have already discussed ahimsa satya and asteya the fourth is brahmacharya so brahmacharya generally we take it in a very negative sense that what that i have to somehow forcefully subjugate my all my impulses it actually doesn't that the word itself you will find doesn't mean so brahmacharya brahme charati yah sa brahmachari the one who is constantly dwelling on brahman brahme charati the one who is dwelling in brahman is a brahmachari and dwelling in brahman means what that you are so preoccupied with your contemplation on the thought that you are not the body not the mind not the senses you are the atman that there is no scope for any other thoughts there is no scope for 
any other impulses to creep in because the mind at a time cannot have more than one thought if i am constantly involved in the thought of the contemplation of the brahman how can the other thing creep in as sri ramakrishna used to say the more i go towards the east the west automatically falls behind so brahmacharya the word has to be taken in that positive sense that constantly as i am dwelling in brahman brahme charati as i'm constantly so there is no scope for me to dwell in the sensual the sensed pleasures of life so that's the idea the basic idea of the term brahmachari or brahmacharya so it wants us to attend to the necessities of life and not be urge driven we have to take care of the necessities brahmacharya doesn't mean that you don't take care of the necessities the necessity still necessity is okay after that that if you are urge driven it becomes a obsessive compulsive disorder that's the thing we have to be very careful about why because our prana shakti the energy we have that is something constant if we use it up <clears throat> in some lower pursuits we can never use have sufficient energy to use for the higher pursuits so that's the basic meaning of the word brahmacharya to give an example you know this in the andaman the jarwa tribes so they say they they are not civilized in our as per the our uh, standard of civilization they are not civilized but they have some wonderful practices which even we can inculcate now when by chance if two of the tribesmen gets angry and they are about to come to blows the practice among the jarwa tribe in andaman is the other tribesmen will come and desist them stop them and will ask them to run in two opposite directions and they will ask that you go on run, you just run after some time you find as you get exhausted your anger is gone and then you come back even this those you know there's this tribes they also know that anger is an energy which has to be expended as some in other form of energy it can be expended so that's the idea of the brahmacharya that you preserve your energy from the lower pursuits so that you can use it up for some higher pursuits i still remember uh in a youth convention in belurmat uh, in the time of swami vivekananda's this uh, 100 years of chicago lecture so there was a huge uh, youth conference in belurmat and there was a question answer session so one senior swami was presiding over the question answer session a young boy suddenly got up and asked the question that can we not practice spirituality at the same time we can lead a uh, what you say that an ordinary householder's life what's the need for sannyasa why have you taken sannyasa first he i asked that can we not practice spirituality being an householder swami told of course you can do and then the next question was a direct charge and why have you become a swami this i still remember the elderly swami just pointed out that boy he was a young boy just you know is a teenager the beard and the mustache was just coming you know that just you can see uh, the lining 
So Swamiji pointed at him and told, have you started shaving? So he was a bit embarrassed, but all started laughing. And he told, yes, I do have shaved occasion. I do shave occasionally. And then the next question was the blade which you use for shaving. Do you use it for cutting your pencil, for cutting, uh, for uh, what you say in your garden to prune the, the plants? Do you use the same blade? No, never. So why? Because it will lose its sharpness. Yeah, that's the point. So if you use the blade which is you which is supposed for shaving for other purpose, you cannot use it for shaving. It will become blunt. It will lose its sharpness. And that's the thing. That if you use away your prana shakti in the lower pursuits of life, the sharpness of your mind, the focus of your mind, for that the energy, the willpower which is required, you lose it. You cannot think of that qualitative contemplation, contemplative life if you simply spend off your energy in the lower pursuits. So this is the idea of brahmacharya. This is the basic idea. You will see that for the plants, we do the pruning. Why we prune? So that we get flowers. If the suits are, uh, are allowed to grow as the branches, as the leaves, then all the energy gets expended there. So you have to prune them for the thing which you desire so that you can get that, so that all the energy of the plant is now uh, retained to get the flower or the fruit. The more you prune nicely, the more with this, uh, the fruits and flowers you get, the more quality fruits and flowers you get. So this pruning in the plants is something which we can equate with the idea of brahmacharya for us as a human being. So that's the basic idea. It speaks of something positive because many, why we are stressing that it is something positive? Because if you go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, they will immediately say the practice of continence is going to harm you. Yes. If you are subjugating forcefully because of some reasons that uh, the, what the society will say, if I have some illicit relation, if what the uh, society will, uh, my relatives will say, if I have illicit relations, because of that fear you're forcefully suppressing that can lead to mental problems, of course. But if you're doing it for some higher purpose, I will lead a spiritual life. For that, I am willfully subjugating myself. Know it for certain, it in no way is going to affect your psyche in any adverse way. So if you have proper motivation, then the practice of brahmacharya is in no way going to harm you. Actually, it is going to help you in your spiritual journey. So that's the basic idea of brahmacharya, which has been spoken of as the fourth yama. The last practice is the practice of aparigraha, non-acceptance of gifts. Now if the question comes, why shouldn't I accept gifts? Some of my near and dear ones gives, uh, is offering me something lovingly. Should I not accept? We shouldn't accept, uh, we shouldn't uh, try, uh, just uh, try to confuse the idea of aparigraha with all the gifts which our relatives are coming and giving lovingly I, of course, I accept them. It's not that. They say that when you accept gifts, the character traits of the giver somehow influences you. So it's not in your day-to-day life when the, within the family, it's okay. But just think that you are working in some corporate 
and where there are a lot of client services you will find it is mentioned in the your uh, job manifesto that don't accept gifts because your decisions will be biased you will be affected by the gifts which you are accepting so you cannot have any that non unbiased decision and that's the major problem we find everywhere that wherever there are the client services we find that in the form of rishwats that's somehow uh, to uh, trying to give some gifts and trying to influence the person that actually is not encouraged so now you will understand that what aparigraha means in its true sense so in spiritual life it is very important you know it is very important by undiscriminately accepting gifts we will find that sometimes what happens that we lose our freedom there's a nice story in the gospel of ramakrishna that that there were 12 brahmacharis in the king in jaipur in the olden days and through their austerity they became very powerful if they curse someone it is going to uh, really materialize such powerful they were so the king became a bit concerned one day the king called them and they immediately replied that we have no need for the king if king has some need for us let him come to us the king now felt that some way they have to be controlled because they are becoming extremely powerful which can be used in a very bad way they can use those power so what he did somehow he made them uh, this uh, get married and after few years it was found that it is they who are sending message to the king oh king we want to visit you we want to uh, what is it will bring some prasadam some offerings for you to bless you so now the king understood the power is gone so now they have started depending that tremendous sense of aparigraha that is totally gone so that's that's this aparigraha is a very very important practice in spiritual life so this non acceptance it was once you start accepting that you somehow start compromising by being subjugated by the other person's uh, whims and fancies so in another sense aparigraha means non holding we shouldn't hold just whatever is required that's why there was the idea of madhukari bhiksha that if you uh, as a as a monk uh, how to sustain yourself yes you can go for begging but there were some rules what the rules you cannot go for uh, you shouldn't go left for less than three people's house at least for you should go to the three people's house and not more than five people's house you should go why if you just go to one people one person's house and get the entire bhiksha entire uh, your food for one day you are accepting a quite a big amount from a single person and that single person may have a sense of expectation that he should bless me that i have certain desires that should be fulfilled all those things may come so three houses just take little 
So if you take little, naturally it will that that gift won't be have be tagged with the desires. So just you have to go at least three house, and not more than five house, so that you don't hold. Neither uh, you go less than three house nor more than five house. After going to five houses, if you find you have not got sufficient, be satisfied. So that's how the upadi graha was practiced. Those who there are some monks who won't go out at all for bhiksha. That is called ajagara vritti. Just like the you know that the python, the python will be lying in its own place, and its uh, prey will come to its mouth. Unknowingly, it will be because uh, you know they very nicely they camouflage. The python, the python will be camouflaging itself with the plants and the leaves. It's not visible, and the prey comes almost to its mouth. So it has doesn't have to move out. So that is called ajagara vritti. So there are some swamis who have highly evolved. They are so deep in contemplation. They don't go out for bhiksha. They have the conviction it is a god who is going to provide them. They sit in one place and the bhiksha comes to them. So these are the various ways we find the practice of aparigraha uh, is uh, something that ascertained that we have to do to certain extent to keep our mind pure and beyond all contemplations. Uh, this uh, contamination. There shouldn't be any contamination of the mind. So that's how the aparigraha, the non-acceptance of gifts, finds its place as one of the practice of yama. So these are the five practices of yama, the restraints. Now we will go to the thirty-first sutra to study the niyamas. Sorry, the thirty-first sutra actually speaks of how these five practices of yamas can become mahavratam. Vratam, you all know. Wow, that I can take a vow that okay on Saturday and uh, Tuesday I will be a vegetarian. On Ekadashi, I will be vegetarian, or uh, for one month, uh, where at the time of at the time of uh, this, you know, that uh, Navaratri celebration for nine day nine days, I will be a vegetarian. So these are vrata; they are not mahavrata. If I practice all those yamas, the restraints, uninterruptedly, anavachinna, then it becomes mahavrata. So that has been spoken of in the thirty-first sutra, that if I really want to progress spiritually, then it has to be practiced uninterruptedly. Ete jati desha kala samaya anavachinna sarva bhuma mahapratam. So these, all the five practices which we have already spoken of, that is, ahimsa, satya, asteya. Brahmacharya and Aparigraha. These five practices is ete. When it is unbroken by the caste rules, that you may say, how can I practice? A fisherman will say, how can I practice non-violence? My profession is to catch fish. So then the answer is, if you want to be a yogi, these two cannot go together. You have to relinquish that. That you cannot say that as my jati as per my jati, this is my work. So I have to continue. Well, you can continue, but don't say that I want to that progress spiritually with com- compromising with my profession. So that's why jati is mentioned. It is jati, desha. Desha means 
that the, this I will practice ahimsa only during pilgrimage, desha at a certain at certain place when I am going. Okay, when I am in Kashi, when I am Kankal, then I practice ahimsa. Then I practice all this Brahmacharya, Aparigra, not at other times. That way, it's a vrata, but it cannot become a mahavrata. And unless it is a mahavrata, it cannot help us spiritually. So that's why I desha kala anavichinna. There's desha jati kala. So that's only on ekadashi. Kala means the time that only on ekadashi I practice. Uh, this is ahimsa. That that's the day I don't take any non-vegetarian food. That way, it won't do. It has to be mahavrata. That uh, it I don't take uh, this. I practice ahimsa uninterruptedly at all the phases of time. That there can be violence. Then this samaya at the time of war, I can be violent, not at other times. So here, that way, they are saying that if you are a yogi. You have to be apart from all the so-called jati, kala, samaya, the, all the restrictions which for ensues from that. You have to come out of it and practice uninterruptedly without any so-called interruption. That's what anavachinatam means. Then only the yoga practice can become effective. So after speaking it as a Mahavratam, then the thirty-second sutra speaks of the five niyamas. What are the five niyamas? Shoucha, Santosha, Tapa, Swadhyaya, and Ishwara Pranidhana. Shoucha, Santosh, Santosha, Tapa, Swadhyaya, Ishwara Pranidhana. This five. The first is Shoucha. So what is Shoucha? Means cleanliness. Not only cleanliness. Cleanliness. And tidiness, both together, is shocha. And this cleanliness is not only external cleanliness; it should be the cleanliness both of the body as well as of the mind. The mind has to be pure, so it's not only physical cleanliness. And this cleanliness should be followed with tidiness. That if I am not tidy, if I don't keep the things properly, you will be wasting your time. So that's also a practice of shocha. Just to give an example, in the life of Sri Ramakrishna, we will find that one day in Dakshineshwar, a few young uh, this uh, young boys came. In the Dakshin, in Dakshineshwar, there was uh, there's garden. It's a there's a big garden. Apart from the temple, there's a huge garden, and so many used to come. Many used to come for this picnic. So one day, a group of boy came with a just with the intention to have picnic in the garden adjacent to the temple. Now, they forgot. Now they have to cook food, dress vegetables, and they uh, so realize that they have forgot to bring the knife for dressing the vegetables. So, in search of a knife, they came to Ramakrishna's quarters where he was staying, and seeing Ramakrishna, they ne- they never knew him. Just took him to an ordinary person. And asked for that knife, sir. Can you give me a knife? So he agreed. He told wait. He brought one small knife, and gave it to those young boys, and told them, see, in the evening when you return, when you when you go back, don't forget to return this knife. So they took it hurriedly and told, okay, sir, okay. And they were almost they were running. They were just going to this picnic spot, and then Ramakrishna again called them. And told, see, 
don't forget to return this knife would you remember so they again told yes and they again just ran now one of the disciple jogen he was a bit uh, surprised it is such a small knife and why he is so meticulous about it he is asking two two times that almost two, twice he just they were almost going they called them back so he never understood he, he thought that after all he is a poor brahmin this ramakrishna is a poor brahmin so that sanskara is there and that uh, not to part with things always want to hold the things so that's the the sanskara of the brahmin so most probably though he is a realized soul the sanskaras are still there that's what he thought now in the evening many devotees were there some spiritual discussions were going on and suddenly sri ramakrishna told her it's already dark those boys haven't returned the knife so he asked latu another young disciple just go and search the knife the latu immediately told such a huge garden where will i get the knife and ramakrishna was a very interesting person he told see they have there the knife they have dressed the vegetables so sh- surely you will find there is a heap of all the spills somewhere and you go and search within those spills you will get that knife and latu was really he got that he saw a heap of the spills he went and he just searched there and got that small knife he brought and was about to keep in one of the just one of the racks of the cupboards ramakrishna told no 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 just wash it nicely it was washed and then just dry it wipe it with a uh, towel it was wiped and again he was going to keep it in the cupboard no it's not the place you uh, you know in uh, this india this management of space is wonderful in the in the poor people the in the poor man in the house he doesn't have much space so what they do to keep lot of things they use the space beneath the cot now to increase that space what they do they will stack some bricks and keep the cot over that so that the height of the cot is increased you get more space and now those bricks itself become some rack <laughs> so in one of those uh, one of the legs one of the legs of that uh, this of the the cot on the brick of one of the legs that knife has to be kept so when at last latu maharaj kept now this jogen the other dis, uh, uh, disciple from the morning he was seeing ramakrishna at last he couldn't contain himself he told just for this small knife you have you, you are making such a big issue and then what ramakrishna replied is something wonderful see i don't earn a single pie is a devotees who earn and they save the money from their earning and they spend on me so it's a hard earned money if i lose this knife if i just uh, is this knife gets lost again i have to ask for this to some devotee i don't earn and again they have to sh- just from their hard earned money they have to spend for me so do you understand that how important it is for me to keep it uh so uh, safe and not only that if you keep it anywhere first you should clean it wipe it so that it does they doesn't develop rust that's one part why again on that uh, that you know that on the bricks you have to keep it because that's the place i keep 
even at night in the pitch dark night if i need that knife i shouldn't be moving around in search of it if it's in the place where it has been kept i just even in dark i can get it i don't waste my time in searching it so now you find that a man of realizations mind must be very very tidy clean otherwise we waste our time throughout the day by just being totally untidy we don't know where we have kept the things and we just go on searching around uh and waste our time even nowadays uh you know that in properly have not saved the files in your computer now you don't find where it is you go to the email search the email from there the attachment where it was you haven't saved it properly so much time is wasted we find that in even in our day to day life in all our work as we are not tidy we waste the time so this tidiness cleanliness is a very important thing in the, in the spiritual life it speaks of disciplining of the mind in the life of ramakrishna we will find a wonderful thing when any newcomer is to come to dakshineshwar and say ramakrishna that i just give just instruct me in the spiritual ways of living ramakrishna will make them sit in his room and go out and just observe how they have kept their shoes and the umbrella if he found that the shoes and the umbrella everything are just have not been kept in an orderly manner just they have just thrown the shoes and the umbrella they are all scattered all around and just somehow entered the room he will never instruct them he will say see it is such a beautiful temple garden go to the garden see the flowers see the beautiful temple this building the images go around he will never instruct them he will never bluntly just say let's go out but that's how he used to divert them let's go and just have a look to the temple garden he will never instruct because just by the way they have kept the shoes their umbrellas he will find the state of their mind if such is their mind they're so untidy how can they follow the instructions they don't have that capability so these are the very basic practices which are required and the shoucher helps in another way how those who are really always very much uh, what is um, concerned about their cleanliness meticulously maintained cleanliness they develop a sense of disgust for the body because however you may try to keep it clean by nature it is unclean and that's how by keep trying to keeping it clean you developed a disgust for the body that you easily developed that sense that by nature it is unclean i shouldn't be too much attached to it just by using uh, this uh, the perfumes and all i just somehow what have we do the body is like a corpse which we are trying to cover with the flowers in no time the flowers will be all uh, this dried and dead and rotten and the carcass the dead body the rotten body the flesh will come out so that's what the body is like our attempt to keep it clean is just like trying to cover a dead body with the garlands so that's what swami vivekananda is indicating in some uh, of his lectures so shoucha helps us that way it it helps us to develop a disgust for the body that after all the body by nature is unclean so when you try to keep it clean this sense becomes predominant in your mind and spiritually this disgust for the body apathy 
for this body to certain extent indifference to the body is the very essential factor for our spiritual development so through the practice of shaucha that develops in the vaishnava tradition it is spoken of in a different way that instead of saying disgust we can actually develop a positive emotion by trying to keep the body clean how by feeling that the lord is enshrined in the in my heart my body is a temple the way we keep the temple clean why because the lord is enshrined there that's why we keep the temple clean so that's the idea a positive way of thinking that the lord is residing there this is a shrine my body is a shrine where lord is there in the deep in, my, in the core of my heart in that is that is the sanctum sanctorum the lord is there so this body is a temple so it should be kept clean with the cleanliness the idea of this body which is enshrining the deity within that becomes predominant in your mind so that's why we will find when nivedita came to this country one remark a wonderful remark she is making that in the west always i thought that taking shower is has something to do do with your uh, this about the cleanliness of the body here in, after coming to india i find that taking this uh, taking a dip in the river or taking a shower is actually a religious act they do it with a sense of sacredness that the lord is there i'm just cleansing it so this with this say this sense of sacredness this uh, they do they take a dip in the ganges they have bath so that's the basic idea behind shaucha and these are all physical things which you have told the real thing is keeping the mind pure as shankaracharya has spoken of ahara shuddhi ahara shuddhi means not only purification of the food ahara means food but shankaracharya has given another dimension to it when he is defining interpreting ahara arhate arhate itihara whatever you are gathering in is ahara whatever you are gathering through your eyes through your ears through your test through your smell through your touch is all our ahara ahara shuddhi purify that means only see the pure the good try to keep the mind away from all the things which are impure impure uh, sight impure sound imp- and this all defiled food all those things i uh, try to avoid but i keep myself engaged in seeing the deity that is using the vision in the proper way going to the temple seeing the deity reading scriptures hearing chanting bhajans so all these the way i can purify my senses so that is another type of shaucha apart from cleanliness of the body i have to clean the mind by always gathering in the pure thoughts by having pure thoughts seeing the things pure listening to the pure uh, sound having even the touch can be uh, pure and you know that uh, how that when you are bowing down to your guru and asking that please bless me or touching the feet of a holy person all those things speaks that even touch can be so all those things can be sublimated the way what's your your mental uh, what you say this thought behind it it's not whether by touching the feet of a, a spiritual person a really realized soul 
that itself that act itself speaks of purification when you're doing it what's the thought in your mind that he is a holy man he represents the idea of renunciation that's the thing that's the idea you start culturing and that's the that culture is actually speaking of the purification it is a mere physical act but behind that the culture which is going on so if i i i'm just uh, showing my respect to a so called a holy person without such thought just casually someone told just go and do pranam then it won't have that effect i have to do it with shraddha with that thought that he represents such and such ideal and that's why i am bowing down so it's the person becomes just a suggestion actually you are bowing down you are culturing that thought of that high renunciation and that what you imbibe so that's how the shoucha happens so in this context we all know the the either there's the, the three monkeys of mahatma gandhi this one monkey is closing the eyes another the ears another the mouth what's the idea bura mat dekho don't see which is evil don't see evil bura mat suno don't hear evil bura mat kaho don't speak evil very interesting this mahatma gandhi's three monkeys have been uh, imitated somewhere in switzerland one of our swami rangnathanda ji he is mentioning that in switzerland somewhere he saw these three monkeys but he was surprised he saw these three monkeys are not uh, closing both the eyes both the ears and the mouth one of the monkey with one hand is closing one eye the other eye is open other other monkey is closing one ear the other ear is open and half of the mouth is closed the other mouth half is open and then he inquired that what's the basic idea behind it and they told a very interesting thing the idea is this don't close your eyes completely close it only for the evil things the other eye is open for all the thing which is pious see uh, hear all the thing which is pious speak all the thing which is pure and pious so that's why all half closed is one eye closed one eye one ear closed and half of the mouth closed so that's the idea behind this mental shoucha so after this this comes the practice of santosha santosha is contentment that we should be content we shouldn't go on hankering because that creates tremendous mental turbulence you are always this expectation that always that i would be happier if dash 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 that if i had this if i had that this is the niggling thought this niggling thought always we have in our mind we are never satisfied and that way there's tremendous unrest in your mind with that we can never think of spiritual life this yama and niyama are the foundations these are the very foundations of spiritual life so santosha contentment is very important there's a nice story that how the shoes were invented the story goes like this <clears throat> that the king whenever he is to go barefoot outside so there will be some pebbles or some thorns which by which is to hurt him so one day as he was the, he was after all the emperor lot of riches so he ordered his minister that cover the entire my entire kingdom i have to go out so cover the entire kingdom with leather and the minister told why to cover the entire kingdom with the leather just cover your feet with the leather so that will do and so that's the idea of santosha what's the idea of santosha that 
if you go on chasing after the pleasures of life know it for certain it will be something like that hedonistic treadmill in a treadmill we run we go nowhere so it is ever running never reaching nor a distant glimpse of shore in the words of swami vivekananda you can never be happy that way just say that what to know what are the needs what are the wants i go for the needs not for the wants as mahatma gandhi used to say the world has sufficient resource to meet our needs but it doesn't have the resource to meet our wants so know your needs know your wants the needs are the seeds and the wants are the weeds so know the needs and try to restrain your life within those needs and don't go on hankering that will simply disturb your mind you can never think of the contemplative life without content sri <coughs> so ramakrishna that used to say the story of the nawab and the fakir that one a recluse was quite happy deep inside the forest he was leading a contemplative life and the nawab was very much impressed when he came and saw him was very much impressed he wanted to invite him the fakir told i'm quite happy i'm quite happy here i don't want to go to your palace and the nawab at last told just for one day it's my earnest request please come with me be my guest for one day and the moment he reached there he was allotted some place of residence and after some time he saw the nawab has is praying to the lord what he was praying oh lord give me more wealth give me more wealth more riches and the fakir immediately started moving out of the palace the nawab from his prayer saw that the fakir is going away immediately the nawab came out from his prayer and started running after the fakir and told well you accepted my uh, invitation and i am yet to get give you some gifts that's what's my plan that you are my guest i want to offer you something please be here please at least one day you stay so that i can offer you some gift and then the fakir replied i never accept anything from a beggar so that's the ramakrishna story that he in spite of all the wealth he's still a beggar he is no there is no happiness if what's the use of that wealth if that want is there the real happy person for who is that for whom the want has gone the hankering has gone <clears throat> that's why the, the sanyasin who have no wealth are called maharaja maharaja means king of the king so you may feel that why they are called king of the king the maharaj just because for them the richest person still have that want desire <clears throat> but here we find this person though have nothing has gone beyond all wants so that's the real sign of richness where you have gone beyond all wants and that's why he is the maharaj so santosha speaks of that so i don't go on hankering and that's one aspect the another aspect is of santosha is forbearance that i don't always try to mend the external circumstances of life yes we should try when the circumstances are not favorable i should try to 
change the circumstance. But we will find in our life in 99% cases, I cannot change the circumstance. I'm almost helpless. So what's the, what's the solution? If you cannot change the circumstance, then bend your attitude. Have that faculty of forbearance. The story which previously in some karma yoga class I have mentioned that in Reader's Digest it came long back that a person came to a hermit. He was staying in a hermitage. He came to a hermit and he was relating the suffering of his life that he has to go through so much of suffering, how he was cheated by so many person. He has been uh, totally, means the life was never, uh, uh, he never got any justice in his life. So that was his complaint that he has been betrayed by all the near and dear ones. The recluse never replied to his question. He told, just come with me to the backyard of my hermitage. He took him to the backyard of the hermitage. And now there was a fencing of with the maple trees. The maple trees were used as the stump on which the barbed wire was nailed. Then he took near the maple trees and one maple tree was extremely curved. This growth was distorted, a lot of curvatures were there. And now this recluse told that man, you know what has happened? When I purchased this plot, this building was there, this backyard with the fencing was there, but the maple trees were young, small. My previous owner planted those plants just on the boundary and thought to use them as a stump. So he nailed the barbed wire on the maple trees. And now the trees have grown. But this tree, you see, has extremely, a lot of curves are there. This tree never, never could accept the fact that a barbed wire should be nailed on it. It is revolting throughout its, throughout its life. And that made its growth so unnatural, so curved. And then he took him to the another maple tree. It was straight. And the barbed wire has gone through the core of that, uh, the trunk of that tree. So the core of the, the trunk of the tree has gone as if it has created a hole and the tree is straight. And now the recluse told, see, this tree accepted the fact that however I try, I, I can never get rid of it. It will be with me. I accept. So it has gone to the core of it, but it in no way affected its growth. The plant has gone straight. So the same problem was with both the plants. How they reacted to it, on that depends their growth. So this life as such, there is no suffering. Life is just an occasion, just an happening. How we react to that happening, that speaks of our suffering. So we should know. So there are situations in life, first we should judge whether we can change the circumstances. Yes, we should try. But we will find that there are so many circumstances I have nothing, I have no control over. Then I should have that faculty to forbear. That's why Sri Ramakrishna used to say, shaw, shaw, shaw. You know, in all the Indian languages, there are three S. One sa, when we 
touch the tongue, the tip of the tongue with the teeth, upper upper jaw teeth. That is dantasya, that sa. Another sa is with a hissing sound. When the middle of your tongue touches the palate, sha. And another there is sa, when the tongue rolls and touches the palate, sa. So talab, talabasya, then dantasya and murdhanasya. These are the three way you touch the tongue with the different parts of your mouth and three types of A's are pronounced. Now Ramakrishna has his own defi- that's interpretation that why you know there are three S in all the Indian languages to stress the faculty of forbearance. In Bengali they call it Sahya, Sajja, Sajja, Sahana. In Hindi we call Sahana to forbear, Sahan Karna. In Bengali, it is called Shodjo Kara. So Sahan, Shodjo, these all start with S. So Sri Ramakrishna has his own way of interpreting. He's saying that to stress the faculty of Sahan, Sahya, this forbearance, three S is there in our languages. So it is so important. Without that, we disintegrate. You will find in the entire society, the factor of disintegration is this lack of santosha. Somehow we are from by nature very reactive. In this society they say the childrens uh, have to be brought up in such a way that sometimes we uh, go to the extreme that we shouldn't in any way go against their will and we start pampering them. And that pampering are what results in when they grow up as a child, whatever they wanted, immediately they got. And now they cannot bear if any no is told to them. Immediately there's a reaction. Because that nature has never grown, that they've never developed that nature, that to have that patience and wit and just try to realize why the other person is saying no. To try to be empathetic and try to judge from the other person's standpoint, that faculty hasn't grown. We immediately react thinking that that's the only way I can solve the problem. I just say, no, I don't want it. I just say, no, come out of it. My problem is solved. But you also will agree if you have already experienced the phases of your life to a certain extent, that it is just like jumping from the frying pan to the oven, nothing else. Most of the time we make the situation still worse. In the frying pan, most probably you were getting charred and to escape, you jumped and fell in the oven. That's what happens with us. Santosha. It's just to develop that faculty, to give others importance, to have empathetic. And that's why they say, for all these practices, ahimsa is the key. Whether it is santosha, whether it is shaucha, ahimsa is the key. You'll find at last, it is that non-violence that we sometimes react so harshly we become violent towards other and at last it affects me. I will find my life has become hell. I wanted that change for some solution and that solution in no way has brought solution in my life the way I thought it will bring. It has made my life hell and now I have no way out. I have been cornered. So that's the thing and in, with such agitations in your mind, with such turbulence in your mind, How can you think of spirituality? Why these things are important? Nowadays you will find everywhere they say 
the all problems the solution to all problem is meditation how can you meditate when you have not taken care of all these factors you cannot jump to dhyana dhyana is the seventh rung of the eight rungs of yoga the ladder if you have to go up the ladder one by one you have to step on the rungs the seventh rung almost the second last is dhyana and nowadays we find everyone is advertising dhyana is the solution what have you done with the life that's that all can be taken care of with the meditation but in the yoga sutra we find at the very basic the speaking of yama niyama without overhauling cleansing our personality with these basic practices i can never think of meditation so that's the thing which has been spoken of as the santosha the next practice with these two practices three practices are tapa swadhyaya ishwara pranidhana as you will remember when we started this chapter these three practices were all tagged together as kriya yoga the very first sutra of the second chapter is kriya yoga is tapa swadhyaya ishwara pranidhana kriya yoga so this thing has been again stated here as the three niyamas in short as we have already discussed it quite elaborately when we were discussing the kriya yoga so we will again take up this but we will discuss in short this tapa swadhyaya ishwar pranidhana in the next class so with this uh, we conclude our class today we meet again uh, again uh, in the online in the next class thank you all namaskar pranam swami ji ha namaskar pranam swami ji namaskar